0: Good morning, beloved. If you will turn in your copy of Scripture to Acts chapter 2. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you have stayed abreast of the news this week, you may have heard that the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, um, made the following statements in a release this week. There's an ailment linked to increased heart attacks, depression, diabetes, crime, and premature death in the United States, and it's impacting people no matter where they live or who they are. Loneliness. Right now, millions of people are telling us through their stories and statistics that their tank is running on empty when it comes to social connection. So bottom line is this has to be a public health priority that we consider on par with tobacco, with substance use disorders, with obesity and other issues that we know profoundly impact people's lives. A personal favorite line of of my own from the, the various things that he said um, while speaking about cancel culture, just the kind of rage culture that we live in, where so it's so easy and prevalent for people to just be so mad all the time, um, says there's a very simple reason. It's hard to hate people up close. And if we're not close to anyone, then we can be mad at everyone. That's amazing. That's amazing in a very sad way. as in It should, it should elicit amazement that we would allow ourselves to be so disconnected to be so disconnected. We're in this series called Devoted and we're asking the question, what should we devote ourselves to as a church? Like what are the things a beloved church should be known for? It's in our name, beloved, that like it all comes to this command from Jesus to love God supremely, but then love our neighbor as ourselves. And then he makes it so personal in that upper room when he gets down and he washes the filth from between the toes of his own disciples, the creator wiping filth from his creation in the most humbling of ways, and he says, love each other like I have loved you. And then he goes to die for his beloved. And so we know we must be about love, but what does that actually look like? And so we're looking at the early church as recorded in this kind of historical narrative known as the book of Acts. What did the early church look like? As the Spirit comes down and gives gifts and all these amazing things, the Spirit is now empowering and moving the church forward, advancing the kingdom of God. And as we proclaim this gospel, what did the early church devote themselves to? So look with me at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Here's a a snapshot of what the early church looked like. And again, we're asking the question, what should we devote ourselves to? And looking at what they devoted themselves to. So verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so there's various things that the early church would devote themselves to, that I would say we also ought to devote ourselves to. And all of this is really an unpacking of what it looks like to love God supremely and then love each other. So as we love each other, what do we devote ourselves to? So we started off the apostles' teaching, that we must be a gospel-centered church. We must see that this is the very word of God given to us. This is a beautiful way to hear from him, to experience him, to have growing intimacy with him. It's actually through his word that we grow into salvation. And so we want for this to be in authority over our lives. We submit to it. We experience and encounter God in it in a profound, direct way. And so like the early church, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings because they are preserved for us in the word of God. And then Pastor Reggie last week looked at the next one, to the fellowship, this Greek koinonia, which is this this way of coming together and having this kind of love for each other that actually costs us something but we we take that cost willingly. We engage in fellowship. And now this week and next week, um, we go to the next two. The next one, it says, from where Pastor Reggie left us off last week in 42, to the fellowship, now we go to the breaking of bread and then to prayer. And so today, as we explore to the breaking of bread, I want you to see that this is actually kind of a component of fellowship, to eating together, to breaking bread together, as a component of what fellowship is. And so, as we go through that, we have to acknowledge upfront, front, as Pastor Reggie pointed out for us last week, fellowship is so rewarding, and yet it is so costly. Have you realized, I'm, again, we'll start with what the U.S. Surgeon General said this week, that it is difficult to experience real fellowship, to have a genuine community where you are vulnerable, where there's this connection that is not just easily broken off, cancel culture, like, nope, you're out. And, can I just like soapbox here for a moment as a pastor and tell you, if you have a therapist who is in the habit of telling you that you have toxic relationships and you just need to cut them all off, I would push back a little. There is definitely a time to have some boundaries. They are very healthy and biblical. But if your answer to every tension in life is to just cut it off, soon enough you will be all alone. And you may already be there. Of We are called to forgiveness, to reconciliation, to be peacemakers. And again, we can have healthy boundaries, and yet those healthy boundaries do not mean we just simply cut off anyone who goes against us in any way. So fellowship is hard, it's costly, and yet so rewarding. Uh, This is the way that Corey um, Dellastrati said in an article in The Atlantic, reflecting on this, the diminishing habit of eating together as a formal, just really beautiful component of what fellowship is, breaking bread together. Um, So looking at the fact that that is subsiding, that people don't eat together a whole lot now. In fact, I forget the exact statistics, but it's amazing the number of meals that are consumed in a car by yourself every week, on average as Americans. And so as that is something kind of of the past, to have these formal times to come together, slow down, eat a meal together, and then seeing all of these studies, many, many studies that are showing the positive effects of just simply eating together, to just come together and eat together. And so reflecting on all that, this is what Corey writes in The Atlantic. It says, it's incredible what we're willing to make time for if we're motivated. Although we often end up just a bit too squeezed to make it to the gym in the morning, we can still find time to go to the movies after work. Perhaps seeing eating together, not as another appointment on a busy schedule, but rather as an opportunity to de-stress, a chance to catch up with those whom we love, then could help our children to do better in school, get in better shape, and be less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Eating together also led children to report better relationships with their parents, and surely relationships between adults can similarly benefit. Oh, there's so much research saying if you look at a household, because it's so much easier to get empirical data from that, but households that eat together, the children are less likely to become drug addicts. The children are going to perform higher in academics. The children are going to have better relationships with their parents and their community. And Corey's saying, wouldn't that extend outward beyond the household? Why don't we eat together more often? Why would this not be something we would devote ourselves to? Fellowship is costly, but so rewarding. And so as you think of fellowship, like you can kind of scale this, that in fellowship, just coming together, being in communion together with each other, as we do this, we see this in different spheres. So if you start like the public sphere, like this would be a public sphere. If you get together with a mass amount of people, and you're like, well, we're all kind of together. And yet, are we really together? Like, there's not a lot of koinonia, not a lot of fellowship that happens in this context where there's a bunch of rows and there's one person with an amplification system that can overpower you. Like this is a beautiful thing, and yet this is not what fellowship truly is. This is a form of it, but it's such a large form that it's not accomplishing what we really need in fellowship. And then you can bring that down. You go from the public space to the social space, and now you think more like, okay, like. If you go to guys' night or girls' night, we try to have those um, opportunities. Like, it's an easy on ramp. Like, you can find some people. You can build relationships in the church. There's going to be not as many people as this. And yet, you're still going to, like, introverts like me, like, you're not going to be terrified because, like, everyone's looking at you right now in this moment. We're like, no, they're, we're doing something shoulder to um, shoulder. I love when that's called a, a third conversation. they like, you have a conversation between you and someone else, but there's this other activity. Guys, we love this. Doing something together helps us relate to each other. And so that's the social space. You get together, like, the end of this month, the last day of school, we have Champions, Splash Pad Reserve, the Pavilion. We'll all be at Waterfront Park. That's a social space where it's not going to be probably as big as this, and yet there's more fellowship happening, and yet it's not just, like, deeply personal. You could take it there. But if you take it there, you actually get down to another space called the personal space. And the personal space, this is like our home groups. That We say, we don't want to be a church with home groups. We want to be a church of home groups. That if you think that you know what it is to be in beloved church and all you experience is coming on a Sunday morning to worship together, you have missed it. To be the church is to be together more than just for an hour and a half a week. And so in home groups, that's a personal space where there's a group of people who can know you, who can walk through life together with you, who can accomplish the one another's of scripture, like love one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another. All these various things that we cannot do very well in this type of social space, or this public space, or even in the social space like guys' night, girls' night, those kinds of things. But then in a home group, you can. You're known be long, be known, be loved, that vision is accomplished in home groups. So be in a home group, be in that personal space. But then there's the last one, and this is the one that we have walked away from largely in our culture today, and this is the transparent space. And this is likely two to four people in your life who they could call you up and say, all right, print your statement last month. Like, Wait, what? You're gonna see what I spent all my money on? Or hey, when's the last time you fought with your wife? What happened? Did you apologize to her yet? Or hey, that thing you're struggling with, when's the last time? Those transparent spaces where you can actually have those conversations because you know that it's safe. That even if it's gonna be a hard conversation, you know that that is in love and that you need that. And so we go through these various spheres, public spaces, social spaces, personal spaces, transparent spaces, but in all of them, here's the beauty you can accomplish a lot of that by simply eating together. And this is why God has put it throughout human history that there's something about eating together that helps to take down these walls that so often divide us. And so share meals, fellowship through eating together. Prioritize eating and drinking together. Just know they're not convenient. Uh, I'll invite you into the Franklin household for a moment. Um, So we try to eat a meal At least once a day. Typically, it's dinner that, like, if you're at work, you're at school, or whatever, or like breakfast is just kind of a free for all. It's insane. (laughs) But dinner time, Courtney does a wonderful job of preparing a wonderful meal for us. And we sit down at the table, we all sit together, and we share this time together, eating together. And so, as we start that, um, we totally stole this from a podcast we listen to with our kids. It's the outro for it. But there's a song that we sing as a prayer Thank you, God, for everything. With our voices, we will sing, you are God, Father, Spirit, and Son. We sing together to start our mealtime. And then we use New City Catechism, that every night, there is a question of the week. And so we ask the kids the question, and they memorize a response that's helping them to articulate doctrines and form their own theology, their understanding of who God is, who we are, how we relate to him. And so every week of the year, there's a new question, and we go through it. We've been doing this for years. For my nine-year-old, I hope when we get to next week's question, like we'll start a new one today, I hope that he at least vaguely remembers the answer from last year. But that becomes a point of conversation. That they can give me the simple recall, rote memory, like oh, blah, 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 but then we can dive into that. What do you think that means? What does that look like for us when we get in a fight with our friend at school? Like, we can, we can make this a point of conversation. And all the while, you know what we're doing? We're stuffing our faces. We're enjoying something that tastes good. And we're talking together. And before you think, wow, your family sounds amazing, let me just be honest with you that I usually have to bribe one of them to start the song. And one of them is usually. (laughs) And then we get to the question. And neither of them wants to answer. And they're looking at each other. And I'm trying to draw it out. And they want to just answer it as quickly as possible and change the subject and move on. It's every bit of it is a fight. And usually one of them or two of them multiple times has left the table. And they're doing God knows what. Like somehow their biological clock is set, I have to go to the bathroom right now. Like it doesn't work that fast that you take a bite and you have to go. But somehow it does. And it's mass chaos. Like it's not pretty. It's a constant struggle. No matter how often we do it, you know the deal. We're going to do this every day. And yet they fight it with everything they have. And yet it's worth it. Do you know that? It is not convenient, but communion is worth the inconvenience. And it's the same with us that it will get messy. It is hard. We are sinful people. We're going to hurt each other. But it's worth the intimacy that comes from pressing through. So we engage in these things because communion is more important than convenience. So even at great cost, we're going to pay the price to uphold this value. And then we gain the greater payoff of real fellowship. Uh, Don Everts and, and Barna Group, you've probably heard of Barna Group, does a lot of polling surveys and research. Um, but they, said, they found that one of the most consistent traits of Christian households described as spiritually vibrant is loud tables. Not clean, well-polished tables. Loud tables. Spiritually vibrant homes Are characterized by loud tables. There is a focal point. There's a place where the family comes together regularly and they engage each other. And it's messy. But it's worth it. You come together to eat and talk regularly. Um, But again, it's difficult. And so we have to be strong. We have to truly devote ourselves to this, not just in our homes, but together, eat together. Um, We tried it for about six months. We used to call them beloved dinner parties where we would encourage the church, like, hey, the first Sunday of every month, find someone to have a dinner party with. Invite another couple. Invite a few individuals. Come together. Cook your favorite meal. Take them to your favorite restaurant, whatever. Just eat together. Because we want this to be something we devote ourselves to. Breaking bread together, eating together is profound, but it is difficult, and so we have to be strong. We have to persevere. Andrew, this is my brother-in-law. I'm not going to embarrass you. Come here for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm calling on you because I know you're strong. Okay, so Andrew, please. I know. Don't hurt me. Is the real is the real request here? I want you to punch at me. Please don't hit me because I'll cry and that'll be embarrassing. Punch at me. You just go ahead and punch. You're strong, right? Sure. You're strong. Like don't let me move this. Okay. Okay. Like, he's strong. All right. Look at that. My goodness. The light, it's really, really flattering. All right, go ahead. Like you, you've punched at me. Okay. All right. Can't move it. You're strong. All right, watch this. What was that? Oh, I said keep it. Okay. What are you doing? Said- Be strong. Don't move it, okay? Yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this, my friends, in martial arts, is called the brush grab strike technique. Someone incredibly strong can go at you. But this weird motion of just brushing their arm and suddenly, huh? What what just happened? And maybe you watch Kung Fu artists and you're like, what's with all the weird flourishes and everything like that's are they just trying to look fancy? Like, no, it's actually doing very intentional things. That what's happening, as he's punching and all of his power is going there and I just brush along here, create different points of contact, it confuses his brain and his muscles and suddenly I can put him wherever I want him. And this is life. That we come into something saying like, fellowship is important. I'm going to devote myself to this like full strength ahead and then life hits. Do you know what my schedule looks like? (sighs) and this happened again and that happened and now this is coming up and there's just so many things coming at us and it's like that simple brush that suddenly i've lost connection with this i have forgotten what i'm supposed to be devoted to and life derails me we experience this all the time so many things competing for our attention so many things drawing us away we simply forget we know that it's worth the price it's not convenient but it's worth the cost. And yet the cost hits us, and it's like, well, oh, I just dropped it. And suddenly, I'm so alone. This is a church that says belong, be known, be loved, and I don't feel like I really belong here. I don't feel like anybody knows me. I come in here, nobody talks to me. And if that's you, that breaks my heart. And I would beg you don't leave today without making a wonderful friend. I will help you find wonderful friends. Talk to someone on the Connect team. Come talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors. We don't want that for you. But here's the thing. It is going to cost you. We love the idea of community, but we don't love the cost of community, especially when, even when we go full strength ahead, so many things just throw us every direction. Persevere. How, though, will we do this? When we forget with the difficulties of fellowship, how can we remember and truly be devoted? And that is what the earlier church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and part of the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Why would they devote themselves to the breaking of bread? We devote ourselves to the breaking of bread so that we experience that communion. And do you know what the breaking of bread is? It's eating together. But specifically in this context, it's the Lord's Supper. It's when Jesus on that night took the bread and broke it, having given thanks. This is my body broken for you. That we break bread together. We come to the table, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, and we remember. And in gratitude, we proclaim his death until he comes again. This is how we remember that we come back regularly over and over and over. I grew up in a context where our church would celebrate communion just a handful of times a year. And it was always this very, very sacred moment that has happened only on occasion. And the whole idea that I was told repeatedly was, we don't want this to become just a repetitive thing we do. We don't want it to lose its meaning. If you are married, do you know what I will not counsel you to do? Is withhold physical intimacy just for special times. Let's make sure that that stays special. So only engage in that on occasion. No, the whole point of it is to increase intimacy beyond what is physical. It is a beautiful gift that you should engage in all the more if done rightly. And so, in the same way, we experience great communion, great intimacy with God and each other as we come together to the table. And we don't want to say, well, let's only do this on occasion because there's a tendency for us to just make this a repetitive, redundant habit that doesn't really mean anything. No, instead we say, let's do this all the more, but let's do it rightly. Let's let this be what it is supposed to be. Devote ourselves to this. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you'd like to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, one of his at least three letters that he wrote to them. But 1 Corinthians um, this is what he writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. He's giving instructions about various things, particularly in the context of a worship gathering. Um, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul received this directly from Jesus himself. These are the instructions Jesus gave to Paul as an apostle. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." the early church would have what history has termed love feasts. Um, that's been taken various ways. In fact, one of the accusations in the early church was that it was just a bunch of incestuous relationships because they would call each other brother and sister and the family of God. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God. And so they would come together with brothers and sisters and have this love feast. And they you knew what they would do there. They would eat together. Like a major component of their worship was breaking bread, eating together, sharing a meal, eating together. And Jesus' instructions, as often as you eat this, as often as you drink this, you remember and you proclaim. This is something we do together. We devote ourselves to this. And so three major things that I want you to get from this text, this is remembrance, this is communion, and this is Participation. So type A personality, remembrance, communion, and participation. This is remembrance. This is remembrance that when we see this, as Jesus has taken bread and he has broken it, they have the visual, they have the scent of this bread coming to them. They're hungry at this point. They want to eat that. And Jesus breaks it. He prays, giving thanks. And he says, hey, this is my body, broken for you. And he takes that cup, and we're so thirsty, like licking your lips, mouth is dry, I want to drink And he says, this cup, this wine, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The cup of the new covenant. This is the way that God would now relate to us. It's through his shed blood, through his broken body. This is salvation. When you come to the Lord's table, when you see this broken bread, when you see the wine glass, you see this and you remember. And then you taste it and you remember that this is how I am alive forevermore, that Jesus died for me, that his death was my salvation, that he died the death that I deserved on the cross because I'm a sinful person, that I have rebelled against the holy God, and he is just, and there is wrath that is due on me, and yet he says, I love you in grace. You could not earn a good standing relationship with me, but I want it with you, and so I'll take your place. That he satisfies the just demands of God's wrath and righteousness. He nailed to a cross, taking our sin on himself, and says, have my righteousness. You're forgiven, and you're free forever. He's just calling us to believe that, and so we believe that. We believe he died, and he rose again. This is our salvation, and he gave us this meal to say, this is how you're going to remember. When life brushes up against you, and you can't stay strong, you come back to this table, and you see, this is my salvation. The body of Jesus broken for me. His blood poured out. His death means life for me. So we remember this. This is how we have fellowship with God. Again, as a component of fellowship, we come here and we see, this is why I have fellowship with God. He has made a way at great cost to himself. You remember how costly it is to have real fellowship? The cost of fellowship with us was the life of the Son of God. And he did it willingly. Omnipotent. All-powerful. And yet he humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And so we take this, we see it, we taste it, and we remember this is our salvation. Listen closely. We all want to be wanted. Do you know that? So much when it comes to our social life, all of the stress, all of the joy, everything across the spectrum, all of it comes down to the fact you want to be wanted. I want to be wanted. And when we see our salvation at the great cost of our salvation, we know he wants us. God wants us. I am wanted. Do you know what that means? That all of these things that can be so distracting suddenly fade away, That in this moment when I come to the table and all the pressures of life, all the hurts, the pains, even the joys that I know are fleeting, when I come to this and I see a broken savior bleeding out for me, and a smile on his face, because it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. I know I'm wanted that God wants fellowship with me. And so I remember as I come to this, so will you devote yourself to this? Will you remember this is our salvation as you eat and you see this? You're wanted. That God has fellowship with you, taking the cost on himself. We belong. We're known and still loved. The God says, you belong with me. I know you through and through, every good and bad part of you, and I still love you. Oh, what a beautiful gospel. And then communion. And by communion, I don't mean the proper term of this institution, this, this act, but the actual the verb of communing. That we have communion, we have genuine, close, intimate fellowship together. And intimacy means closeness, Right? And so if this is a fellowship marked by intimacy, this closeness, what's beautiful in this action, as we see and we taste, we participate in this, it's real closeness. It's the nearness of God that when we come to this, um, we don't believe that the, the juice and the bread literally become the body and blood of Jesus. That's called transubstantiation. We say, no, that is not the case because then we would be in danger of re-crucifying Christ over and over and over. This is a sign for us to remember. And yet, Jesus is in a very special, profound way spiritually present with us in this. That it's not just remembrance. It's the enjoyment of God himself. and That's part of the sign in this. That you would consume this that you would see this symbol, to remember this is our salvation, the body and blood of Jesus. And what do you do with that symbol? You ingest it. You eat it. That This is the intimacy we have with God, that his salvation outside of me comes now in me. And this is how close God is, that he is now in me. The spirit of God now in us, sealing us with the promise of redemption. That our Lord, who said, I will never leave you, Never forsake you. He gives us the great commission and says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But how close? Because sometimes it feels like he's so far. And he says, this is how you're going to remember. So how you'll stay focused. Devote yourself to this, that the sign that I give you to remind you of this salvation, how I have fellowship with you, you're going to actually ingest that. You're going to eat it. And you hear the words of Jesus hearkening back earlier in the Gospels when he says, uh, if, you, if you don't eat my flesh, and drink my blood. You have no part with me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Cannibalism? No, no, this is the nearness of God. And so as you come and we devote ourselves to this, in these moments when he comes to the table, would you know that is how near God is? This is the fellowship we have with him. This is the intimacy that we have with him that is right now like looking in a mirror dimly, as Paul said, but one day we'll see face to face but gaze into that mirror. Look into it and say, this is how close God is to me. This is communion. The nearness of God is actually also a very dangerous thing because he is holy. Do you know that when you come in contact with a holy God as unholy people, that is incredibly dangerous. And so read on verse 27. So then, whenever or whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep, which means they died. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so it may not be condemned with the world. This is a serious thing. A communion coming to the Lord's table is only for the believer to come into the presence of a holy God. And look at every instance of a theophany in scripture. When Adam and Eve first sin and they realize they're naked and ashamed, they hide. They don't want to see God. When Moses wants to see more of God and he's like, show yourself to me. And God's like, you wouldn't stand a chance but here's the thing, I'll let you see my back as I pass before you. And he hides him in the cleft of a rock and passes by proclaiming his name and allows him a glimpse of his back. When Daniel, who unlike pretty much any other character in scripture, except maybe Enoch, it doesn't tell us any of his explicit sin. You think, this guy is amazing in exile. And yet when he sees the Lord in this vision looking across a river, he is undone. He's undone. The Apostle John, one of the closest friends of Jesus, on the Isle of Patmos as he's exiled, in the book we call Revelation, he sees Jesus and he is so overwhelmed, he falls as though dead. Isaiah and his commission sees the Lord high and lifted up, and again, woe is me. Every time you encounter this holy God, it's like it's too much for us. It is too much for us. And so to be in the presence of holiness as people who are sinful, this is dangerous business. And yet the glorious gift, the beauty of communion is God says, I am holy and I have made you holy. Come here. This is for the believer. We come to the throne of grace with confidence because it is a throne of grace. That I don't deserve to be here, but you paid the way. I'm walking gladly into it. We come and experience communion with God, our fellowship with God, and now that is the foundation for our fellowship with each other. That we've been made right with God and now we can relate rightly to each other. Lastly, participation. And here's the thing, one of my favorite parts of communion is watching the participation of the church. The communion is an opportunity for us to come together in these formal gatherings and not just be a spectator, in this context, in this type of setting, the tragedy is it's easy to just come in and spectate, but communion calls you to participate. You get to in, be involved in a, in a profound way that you, you move, you participate in a way that you can't just sit there and mumble some words to the Christian karaoke on stage or the guy trying to teach you something. But you become active in this. And yes, I hope that you're active in every component of our gathering, but there's something profound about this part. For you can't just be a spectator. You have to be a participant. And so we participate in this. This is, as he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're participating in this. This is our proclamation. Our salvation is that Jesus has come and he has died and he's alive and I will live with him forever, forgiven at his cost. He loves me. I belong here. Here's the thing. Jesus famously said, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. If this is our proclamation, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is our salvation. As we speak that, and Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We speak with our mouth. That there's this current, this overwhelming flow that from your heart, things flow out and they ultimately come out, whether you like it or not. It eventually comes out. And so that tells us there's a current there. There's a connection. And so sometimes, how many of you show up and you know, like, man, I'm just not feeling it. Did you hear Pastor Reggie say that this morning between songs? I'm not there yet. Sometimes you're just like, I'm just, I'm not feeling this. And this is an opportunity to say, well, that river is flowing one way, but it's still connected. That sometimes, before we get there emotionally, spiritually, I need to go there physically. And so we can say things, and it's kind of like if you've ever been kayaking or canoeing in one of the springs around here, there's a flow to that. You can go with the flow, and that's so nice, but I hope that you did it the opposite way. I hope you start going against the current, and then you enjoy the current on the way back when you're tired. But that's the thing you can go both directions. It's going to be way harder to go against the flow. And so if we know that to be true, when we're not feeling it, when you're wondering where God is, then you come together and you devote yourself to the breaking of bread. We feast, seeing this as our salvation. We proclaim with our mouth and let that fight against the current and come back down into us. But I've shared this before. You know, Scripture actually, in many instances, says pray, lifting up holy hands. We raise our hands in worship. We do things like that. And it's not to say you have to do that. But what is the point of that? So we live in bodies. Real bodies. We will be resurrected in real bodies. Our bodies have great worth. Jesus died in a real body and was resurrected in a real body. And so we should not discount or discredit the fact that our bodies are part of us. And so sometimes we need to physically or verbally do things so that the spirit, our head, our heart, all these other things can catch up. And so we proclaim the Lord's death. Sometimes we have to confess things verbally before our heart feels it. The physical is often preceding the emotional or the spiritual. So here's the thing. Let's be a church devoted to the Lord's Supper. Will you devote yourself to this? It's remembering. It's communing with God. It's participating in his beautiful invitation. Say, this is how you belong here. To know that you are known and you are still loved. This was the cost of fellowship with God. And now we have fellowship with him and each other. He loves us. So let's be a church devoted to the Lord's Supper. Break bread together. And here's a warning. This is a favorite proverb of mine. When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you have a big appetite. Don't desire his choice food, for that food is deceptive. We are such a consumeristic culture. He's not just speaking about eating When you sit down, wonderful food, powerful person in front of you, enjoy this. Put a knife to your throat. Get control of yourself. It's a good thing to put a limit on our limitless appetites. When we will throw ourselves, we'll chase after. That's the rubbing. Something else, something else. We're just always constantly running after these fleeting things. Put a limit on your limitless appetite, but then see the beauty of this. We're the infinite God it says, I'll satisfy your infinite appetite. So come and feast. Come and consume. Consume. You want to be a consumer? Come and consume. Because for anything to be edible, it must die. There is death involved in eating so that you can have life. Whether that's a plant or an animal, something must die for you to get life from that. And Jesus says, I have died so that you can have life. Now come and feast and enjoy, taste, and see that the Lord is good. So skeptic, seeker, stumbling, or doubting saint, if this is a wrestle for you, I'm asking, will you believe this good news? That There's a God who loves you like that and is inviting you into fellowship with him and then fellowship with his family. And Father of Jesus, who are you gonna share this good news with? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your profound love. Your grace is amazing and glorious. And so we thank you for this opportunity we have to regularly come together and devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, to eat together, remembering and proclaiming your death, Jesus. To know that this was our salvation of something outside of us, but you have come to us. Thank you. Oh, we love you. We praise you. Because you're glorious and worthy of it all. So help us to be a church devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. For your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen.